So good to see you in the house this morning. What an honor it is to be here on this Mother's Day. Um, feel the presence of the Lord in such a strong and profound way. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. Um, it's an honor for me to stand up here today and recognize all the moms in the room. Uh, there are three that are very special to me. Number one, um, I should say, uh, the mother of my wife, Miss Wanda Patterson. I want to say thankful, say thanks for you. I'm so grateful. What a precious lady you are. Gave birth to my wife now of 38 years. 38 years. I remember the first time I saw my future mother-in-law uh, about 41 years ago. That's a long time when you put things in that perspective. Wow, that's a generation. The second one is my own mother who gave birth to me years and years and years ago, my sister as well. She is a champion. She's a warrior. She's tender, loves God, and always supportive. Uh, turned me in from time to time when I wasn't doing well at home. And she would say things like, I'm going to tell your daddy. And I would beg her, please don't tell daddy. Don't tell daddy. Well, I have to tell daddy. And I said, please, mama, don't tell daddy. I'll be good. I never won that argument. <laughs> and then my own wife is the mother of our two children. Uh, the first lady of the house is... My precious, precious woman of God. Would you stand, Karen, and let us recognize you? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. If you are a mother, would you stand to your feet? All the moms in the house. All right. Wow, 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 wow. My goodness. You may be seated. I hope you have the best day ever today, this week. It should be Mother's Month, not Mother's Day, Mother's Month. They carry us for nine months. Come on now, somebody. We've got to give them more than a day. I mean, daddies, you know, we know, you know, dads get a day, moms get a day. Y'all ought to get a whole month. Praise the Lord. All right. Uh, pastors Mark and Retta, we're so honored to have you as our, our children's pastors that love God, love revival. I'm just so honored, the two of you and your entire team. So if you are here today and you have your baby that you're going to dedicate to the Lord, would you come to the front right now and stand in front of us? If you have a child that you are going to be dedicating to the Lord this morning, would you make your way quickly to the front. Come on, that, that's good. Thank you for coming. They're coming from the back. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, my goodness. I love this. This is precious. Come all the way up to the front, if you will. Slide all the way down, all the way down. They just keep coming and coming and coming. And coming. My goodness. There it is. They keep coming. They keep coming. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
My goodness, the Lord is good, isn't he? The Lord has been good to these moms and dads, been good to their extended families. The Lord's been good to our church. Um, So I'm going to ask if the parents would turn this way and face me for just a brief moment. I'm going to make this very, very quick because I know that we're on a time frame with these little ones. I, I remember when our boys were small, like three to six years old, that was a very pivotal time in our lives that we decided we'll never eat out again. (laughs) When you are told by the manager at one of the local restaurants, you need to do something with your children. (laughs) And we didn't even know that they were up to anything, but they had locked the doors to the restaurant. And it was one of those restaurants that you really couldn't see because they had the, the glass, you know, that had um, tint on it. So people would try to open the door and just walk off. There's no telling. Thousands and thousands of dollars just walked right by the restaurant thinking and assuming that they were closed. And so we would, we would meet with a waitress at the beginning. Now, this is no lie. This is the truth. We would be, when they were like three or four, we would have the waitress come. And we would, I'd reach out sometimes and grab her by the hand. And say, we've got 17 minutes before these kids go insane. Can you get it done in 17 minutes? And to this day, I don't know if it was the trauma of, of, of the, it was the trauma that we had taking them out to eat that we tell waitresses even today, we're ready to do the whole thing right now. Drink order, appetizer. They're not there quite yet, but they're on the way. You just wait. What a precious, precious moment this is. I look at these babies, and some of them were birthed in revival. They were birthed into the revival. Others, I look at them, they were brought into the revival. They have been brought into the revival. Regardless of which one, they are in the move of God. So there's something different about these babies and the other babies that we have in our church. They are in the house of where the presence and the glory of the Lord is such a uh, resonant um, encounter. And I know one thing, that the hand of the Lord is going to be upon you. He is going to cause his face to shine upon your children. As a parent, I prayed for my children and several things I would pray. God, that they would be saved early. As soon as they are able to understand what Jesus did for them and understand their own condition, their heart, I would pray. I prayed, Lord, at that moment, may there just be like a few moments of space between recognizing they're lost and getting born again. Number two, I prayed that significant influencers would be in their life. Okay? Businessmen that walk in integrity, because I had two boys. Coaches that would honor um, and mentor how to live. I prayed that the right youth pastors and children's pastors would speak into their life. I prayed that they would be kept from the wrong people. Because the children that you hold are one relationship from a drug addiction. Do you hear what I'm saying? One friend in high school that says, hey, let's try this. And then they spiral downward. I pray that the Lord bring the right friends into their life. I pray that they would marry the right spouse 
And even when they were five and six years of age, I was praying for the women that would enter into their life. And now I have two beautiful, beautiful uh, daughter-in-laws that are an answer and fulfillment of that prayer today. So it matters what you pray. I prayed that drugs and alcohol would never touch their body. I prayed that they'd be pure. And that they'd love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And some of those prayers I continue to pray. So I want you to do that over your child. Walk into the room while they were asleep. Their spirit is still awake. Speak life and wholeness and wellness and blessing over them. Be with them. Three things your kids will never forget about you. The time you spend with them. The way you talk to them. And the way you touch them. The time, your talk, and the way you touch them. So we're going to dedicate these babies to the Lord today. And my mind goes back to Lion King. The animation movie. The first movie that we took Ty to when he was just a little tot. He was two years old. And he stood in the aisle and he just watched the movie. You know, he didn't move. He just he stood in the aisle. And, just watched it. and there's a moment where they take Simba, right? And they hold him up. Now, obviously, the narrative fails at that point moving forward. But the imagery is that, Lord, we're going to hold our children up and dedicate them to you. And you've given me the management responsibility of parenting. So let's do that right now. Would you, I know your child may be a little older and you can't do it, but if you can just kind of lift your child up to here. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Lord Jesus, parents say this after me. Jesus, I dedicate my child to you. He or she is your possession. I give her to you. Do what you will. They are yours. And help me, God, to raise them, to fear you, to honor you, and to love you. May your Holy Spirit save them and fill them. And may they be used for your glory. Keep them from harm. From evil people. Bring the right people into their lives. Bring the right spouse. In Jesus name. May my grandchildren be blessed. May my children prosper. Emotionally. Physically, spiritually, and financially. In Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said amen and amen and amen. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Pastors Retta, Pastors Mark, we have a precious gift for every parent as you guys uh, receive this from Christ Fellowship Church and from J-Town Ministries. 
Just something very special that we wanted to hand to you. Church family, would you stand up and let these folks know how much you love them and appreciate them? Well, praise the Lord. As they are finalizing the gifts, I want to encourage you to be much in prayer uh, for all of our new families. We're going to change this country. I guarantee it's going to start just like right here. We're not losing this generation. Thank you guys so much. You guys can, can walk out. God bless you guys, and thank you for being here and allowing us to dedicate your children. You may be seated in the house. Uh, as they said a few moments ago, we, we've had technical difficulties all morning long. In fact, it's been a really... Um, difficult week here at Christ Fellowship Church. I don't know many of you saw that our pool leaked, overflowed, and um, we had water everywhere. I think that whole right section, your chairs have been baptized in, in water. Just sitting in that, you ought to be able to um, feel the presence of the Lord. Um, and then this morning, um, technical, we're not online anywhere, so it's just us. And... Um, Hopefully that gets rectified by tonight. Don't forget tonight, week 222, Bishop Lance Johnson. Wow. Let me tell you something. Um, it's going to blow our minds what God's going to do. Every holiday, every holiday, there's always a special move of God that happens, especially on Mother's Day. Moms, bring your whole family. Just get your whole family in the house. Yeah. So um, pray for that. Pray for our technology. They're working hard even now to get things uh, fixed and ready to go. And if not, that's fine presence of the Lord is here. Amen. Last Sunday, I was at Bishop Lance Johnson's church, Relevate Church, and um, had a great time, but I missed you guys. I'm telling you. You know, NBA researchers, analysts tell us that uh, whenever a basketball team in the NBA plays at home, there is a three to three and a half point advantage to them. And I, I, I'm just glad to be home today. Yeah, and um, maybe I will have an advantage preaching here today, and maybe it's worth three to three and a half points. I don't know. I hope so. It feels good to be in the house. I want you to look at Acts chapter 1. I want to continue the theme on prayer. As I, as I have taken a very strong stance on this series... I don't know when we're going to be done talking about it. Uh, it's one of the most um, premier, prestigious subjects of the Bible, Old and New Testament prayer. I don't think we could ever exhaust um, the benefit of it. I feel that prayer is one of the most important things that the church is about. Now, when I talk about this, I want you to see that I'm not, I'm not just talking about isolated prayer. Because when you ask people, do you pray, everybody in this room prays, right? I mean, we all pray. But there's a difference between praying and praying. Knowing how to pray could save your life. There's effectual prayer and prayer that does not avail much. Sometimes we just mouth words heavenward in hope 
that God hears us. Hope that God responds. God responds to faith. Faith is important when we pray. Prayer could keep your child from marrying the wrong person. Different lanes of prayer, and I will deal with that in the next few weeks. There's different types of prayer. There's supplication, there's intercession, there's thanksgiving. I could go, um, I can go on and on and on. And you have to know, given a particular situation, what lane to be in. Going to Atlanta... I've spent months in traffic and years in traffic. Yesterday, coming up 400 from the airport, I'm 36-minute delay sitting still. So I'm trying to analyze what lane to get in. And I'm an impatient driver. So I see this lane moving. I risk life and limb to gain 100 feet. And then I'll get in the far left lane. And then I realize the far right lane is moving. So I put my blinker on. It is important to know what lane to get in. And your Bible talks about the different lanes of prayer. And I want to teach you that in the, in the weeks to come. Because you can be in a lane of prayer because this is the only lane that you know. And the Lord doesn't need that type of prayer from you. He needs something else. Okay, so when, 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 I'm, in, when I'm in this series here, and, and I don't know how long it's going to last, it's those type of things that's going to change your world. Hear me, what I, you hear what I'm saying? So we're going to look at the book of Acts in a, in a particular story this morning. I'm going to go to several scriptures, but I'm going to, I want to land in a particular story. But... The book of Acts is our prototype. Do you know that the book of Acts is the only book in the New Testament outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, that doesn't have a formal conclusion? In other words, there's not this finality, salutation of it's over. I am, I'm the Apostle Paul, you know, thank you for reading this letter type of thing. It is the only book that literally lends itself to be continued because it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 1. In the infancy of the church, I'm talking about in the beginning days of the church, we quickly learn that the early church had a devotion to pray. But not just pray, but to pray in large groups. Do you hear me? Now look at Acts chapter 1. Between the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you'll find in verse um, 13, and when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Okay? So they're in the upper room. Verse 14, then they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. The church was birthed in a prayer meeting. Talk to me. Does this make sense to you? Turn Acts chapter 2. You find verses 1 through 4. They were continuing in one accord and one place. And it was in the midst of their prayer meeting that the Holy Spirit came. 
Acts chapter 2, after the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Peter preaches, verse 40, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who, were glad, who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 in one day. Now notice what happened in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the doctrine of the apostles and in fellowship with one another in the breaking of bread... And then it said, and in what? And in prayers. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at what time? At the hour of prayer. Acts chapter 4. I'll get there in just a moment. Particularly in verse 23 and following. There was another corporate prayer meeting. In the first four chapters of the book of Acts, which is our prototype, our example, we find that the church respected and placed a high degree of value on group prayer, corporate prayer. Now, I know that all of us in this room pray. I know all of us pray throughout the day. But there's something to be said about corporate prayer, which is outlined multiple times in the book of Acts. In fact, there are 13 references in the book of Acts to group prayer. And we stand here today as a benefactor of a church that prayed. Do you hear me? Acts chapter 2, verse 42, one more time. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread... And in prayers. A study revealed. Now listen to this. Only 4.4% of the church in America. 4.4%. Pray at the church they attend. Now I want you to register. Out of 100 members of a church. Only 4. Let's say 5 people would come to a prayer meeting. If there's a thousand, then there would be 50. Barna did some research and asked lead pastors to determine the top three priority points of their ministry. And they ranked them from the highest to the lowest. Pastors revealed that the highest priority of the church is discipleship and spiritual development. At 47% of the people said that's the priority. Other pastors, that same group, I should say, the second priority of the church is evangelism and outreach. It came in at 46%. And number three, preaching at 35%. In this survey, asking lead pastors, what are the priorities of the ministry of your church? Prayer was not even in the running. Only 3% of the pastors listed it among their primary, primary, uh, primary priorities. 3%. Something is missing. 
I get why we make discipleship and evangelism and outreach, I should say, and preaching a priority. But I would say the highest priority of the church, the highest ministry of the church should be the prayer ministry. Not the preaching, not the winning, and not the making of disciples, which are high priorities, but the highest of all should be the prayer ministry of the church. And the reason I make that statement is because it is the fuel that empowers the preaching, soul winning, and discipleship ministry of the church. Jesus demonstrated to us in his own life the priority that prayer played. He would rise up early in the morning and be off by himself in the wilderness to pray. In the evening, he would go and he would find him a place of solitude to pray. He demonstrated it to such a degree that the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, not to preach, not to lay hands on the sick, not to do miracles, but Lord, teach us to pray. The one thing that the devil wants to eliminate from a church, it's not the preaching of the gospel. It's not the evangelism of the unsaved. It's not the discipleship making that goes on, but he wants to eliminate prayer. Because he knows that when we pray, we go to fetch power against him. E.M. Bounds addressed the issue of corporate prayer, and he had some strong words. Now listen to what he said, E.M. Bounds. As God's house is preeminently a house of prayer, prayer should enter into and underlie everything that is undertaken there. Prayer belongs to every sort of work appertaining to the church. As God's house is a house where the business of praying is carried on, so is it a place where the business of making praying people out of prayerless people is done. The house of God is a divine workshop, and there the work of prayer goes on. Or the house of God is a divine schoolhouse in which the lesson of prayer is taught, where men and women learn to pray, and where they are graduated in the school of prayer. Any church calling itself the house of God and failing to magnify prayer, which does not put prayer in the forefront of his activities, which does not teach the great lesson of prayer, should change its teaching to conform to the divine pattern or change the name of its building to something other than a house of prayer. There's a connection between the lack of power and the modern-day church. Acts chapter 2 again, just a moment. The Bible says that they continued. Now I want you to underline this word very, uh, very intently right here. I want you to circle it, underline it, put an asterisk by it. And they continued in what? In the doctrine, in fellowship, and in prayers. They continued... They continued. Acts chapter 1 says that they continued in prayers as well. They continued. In other words, they did not quit. Talk to me in this house. They never pulled back. Now, we love event praying. We love it when there is an event that we will put forth a call to come and pray for an event, a special emphasis 
a direction, if you will. If there is a uh, conference coming on, well, we're going to have special prayer for a conference or there's an evangelistic outreach. Let's come and gather together for a special time of prayer for this one event. And then after the event is over, people go back to their lives of not gathering together corporately for prayer. But your Bible tells us that they continued. They hung in there. They never stopped. Now this is the church that was birthed in the face of their own leader being crucified 50 days prior. Watching him hang on a cross, nails in his arms and his feet, and a sword in his side, a crown of thorns on his head, bleeding out on a hill and 50 days later 40 days later they're gathered in the upper room and then 10 days go by and then the Holy Ghost comes and there's power then you find them again after 3,000 people getting saved they said we're going to continue to pray there was no letting up pulling off of the gas they continued because they knew that the effectiveness of the gospel was not going to be actualized by someone preaching that had a gift or had a talent or had a certain swagger or a certain influence. They watched their mentor Jesus model prayer. And from the very beginning of his life, he prayed. He prayed for 40 days and 40 nights before he began his ministry. So they knew that just a few weeks ago, 10 days earlier, if you will, a week and a half, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. The Holy Ghost comes and he begins to commit himself to prayer. Then he stands up and 3,000 people are converted because of the Holy Ghost, but also because of their commitment and discipline in prayer. The Bible says they continue. Touch your neighbor and say they continued. When they were facing persecution, they continued. When they were threatened with prison and hard labor, they continued. When they saw their very friends dragged into the Roman Colosseum and eaten alive by lions, the Bible insinuates that they continued in prayer. When they were weary, they continued. When they would thought they couldn't go again to a public and corporate prayer meeting, they continued. When the religious leaders and the political influencers said you cannot pray in public, they found an underground place and they continued to pray. Do you hear what I'm saying? When their family members did not get it, did not understand it, they continued to pray. Your Bible says they continued steadfastly, not only in the doctrine that the apostles were preaching, but in the fellowship and breaking of bread and communion together, and they prayed. And when the devil would highlight their own problems, you're not worthy, they continued. When they felt that it wasn't making a difference and a waste of time, they continued. When the enemy whispered in their ear and said, you've already done enough, you've spent your time, let somebody else take your place and do it. You have other responsibilities. Your Bible said they continued. When their body was fatigued, they continued. When they had to get up the next day, they continued. When they had to put babies in the bed, they continued. When other things demanded their attention, they continued 
continued. When their mind said it's unnecessary, they continued. I don't know why in the world that we think that we can have the power of the early church and neglect the very thing that allowed the power to permeate in everything that they did. We have substituted technology for travail. We've substituted our personalities for getting into the prayer closet in isolation and seeking the face of God. We substituted our giftings and our swagger and our brands and our followers for that moment to reach out and to seek God and say, God, all that I am is absolutely nothing. I have nothing to offer. Oh, God, in my own flesh. But, Lord, I need the power of Pentecost. I need the power that raised Jesus from the dead, operating and permeating every factor of our lives. The only hope for America is not another preacher. It is not another new church start. We've got enough churches in America, well over 420,000 now, pushing a half a million churches in America, and I love planting churches. But we don't need somebody else, listen, gunslinging preacher to start another church. What we need is the churches that are already in place to understand, my friends, the power of prayer. If churches began to gather together to pray, we would have revival in America do you hear what I'm saying Jesus told us this in Luke chapter 18 he said Luke chapter 11 and also Luke chapter 18 he says men ought always to pray always to pray always to pray always always throughout the Bible he encourages those who are thinking about quitting It's unnecessary, as I said. It's not meaningful. I get nothing out of it. I just sit and come. I don't feel any different. I'm here to tell you, the devil is whispering to your ears today. He's telling you, let somebody else more seasoned, more mature, come and pray. Now, let me tell you something. I have found out that new believers can touch God just as much as someone that's been saved for five decades. You find the example in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 got saved. Immediately they went to a prayer meeting. Immediately they began to pray. Oh, you got saved? Come join us. We're going to teach you the apostles' doctrine. We're going to have communion with you. We're going to fellowship with you. Oh, no, by the way, we're going to pray. We're going to teach you how to pray. We're going to teach you how to grab the ear of God, how to hold according to the hem of his garment, and not let go until the kingdom of God comes into your life. That's why there was such a perpetual power. The church went from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Don't quit. Hold fast. Terms in the Bible about quitting and and, and the encouragement that the authors and the writers of the Bible, they would say things like, hold on, keep on, run the race, fight the fight, take courage, persevere and press on. That was the secret of the New Testament church. Now we find them in Acts chapter 4. In your Bible, we'll look at this. Peter preached that message. John's with him. The disciples are around him. Now understand the chaos, the turmoil going on in the early church, around the early church. Now think about it for just a moment. 
Guys, we're reading this some 2,000 years later, and it's all pristine, put together perfectly. And you think, oh, that was nice, that's good, that was great. I can see how they did that now. But you have to understand living in the moment. Living in the midst of the chaos surrounding Jerusalem. That there was a religious and political hotspot. They thought nothing of killing people. They had a political different view or a religious zealot. They, they, they had no problem eliminating those threats. And here is Jesus who comes on and, the, and he's this, this young rabbi, 30 years old, he comes on the scene and, and he starts this, this upheaval that really the, the church Old Testament church, if I could say it that way, was they were anchored down, hunkered down, and they didn't want anybody to upset the apple cart. And this 30-year-old, 30, any 30-year-olds in the building? Raise your hand if you're 30. Bless God. Now just imagine 30 years old coming up with a new way. Don't hate your enemy, love them. If someone smites you on the cheek, turn. If they offend you, forgive them not only one time, not even seven, but 70 times seven. And, and all of a sudden, he says, blessed are the meek. And devils begin to come out of people, and bodies begin to get healed. The dead begin to get raised. Lepers have digits literally come back on their hand, creative miracles. And watch this, the religious settlement there. I mean, this, this, this tribe of this religious people, the Pharisees and Sadducees, had their camps and problems within. But all of a sudden, people started leaving the camp to go follow a 30-year-old that walks on water, that tells storms to be still with one word. That crosses the Sea of Galilee and finds a man with chains and sets him free. But as a result of his ministry, 2,000 pigs die. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly when looking at the ministry of Jesus from the culture's perspective. They didn't even like him at times. They said, don't even come to our city. Because when you come here, things get in an upheaval. Why am I saying that? It's important to note that Peter, James, and John did not know what you and I know today. Now, they did see with their very own eyes their Messiah die on a cross three days later, get up. So they had this robust faith, this energy. But yet, all the family members around them had concerns. Are you going to die like Jesus? If I get too close to the inner circle... Could I be the next person? And you know in the first century church that persecution was a way of life. They would literally take the Christians that they would arrest. And Nero would light his garden as they tied these Christians on posts and lit them on fire. And so throughout the city you could hear the screams of the Christians. Children mattered not. Mothers and fathers, whole families, on a pole, tied, fire underneath, lighting up Nero's garden. 
Not to mention the smell as it permeates the city. As a dozen to 20, maybe 30 Christians at a time were, were being burned alive. It is in that context that 3,000 people get saved. And they continue in a prayer meeting. Peter preaches Acts 2. People get saved, 3,000. He gets arrested. John and he get arrested. So once again, it's going through their mind. Who's next? Look what happens. Acts chapter 2. That's where I want you to be. Yeah, excuse me, Acts chapter 3. Acts, uh, forget everything I just said, Acts chapter 4. <laughs> Peter and John are arrested, verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees, watch this, came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Go, we go from 120 to 3,000. Now we're going to 5,000. Now listen to me. I want to say this, and this is, this is something I want to speak to you. The more difficult it is for you to live for Jesus, and the more difficult it is for us to live for Jesus in our culture, in our society... You watch to see what's going to happen with the authenticity of the conversions that take place in that environment. There will be an influx of saved people coming as soon as our government begins to put their physical hands on the preachers. The reason no one wants, listen, the reason, the, reason the culture laughs at us is because we are Fluffy, in and out, carnal, just like them, drink like them, talk like them, but come to my church, my preacher's cool. As soon as the persecution comes, all of those little mice are going to run and hide. But there are going to be a few of you that stand up and say, from the very beginning, it's been real to me. I've been authentic from the very beginning. And those are the ones that are going to be targeted. Now watch this. And as soon as blood is shed, as soon as preachers get arrested for their faith, you watch. All the pretenders will leave. Then those that are on the peripheral wanting to do something and live for something and to have something worth dying for. All they know now is drugs is worth dying for. A high is worth dying for. They're looking for somebody to say, you know what? I'm willing to die for this. And Jesus, 50 days earlier, crucified. 3,000 people get born again knowing that it could cost them their very head. Then another 5,000. 8,000 people in the first two months of the church. Not because we placated to the wishes of a culture to try to make church comfortable. But no, you want to know. Here's how Peter preached. You guys crucified him, and he is now alive. And he looks at the crowd, and he basically says, take up your cross and follow him. Deny yourself, and love not your life even unto death. Do you hear me? 
So he's arrested, John. Now watch this. This is powerful. He's arrested. And they inquire about him. Look at verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, but what power? See, power. Not a gifting. Not a personality. Not charisma. By what power or what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, went after them. This is after he healed the man at the, at the tomb, uh, at the gate beautiful, I should say. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, untrained, and they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the men who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But it didn't stop them from threatening them. They said to one another, what shall we do with these men? For indeed, there's a notable miracle. So, verse 18, they commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. See, that's what our, listen, that's where our government's heading. Mark my words. With this new crud that's going on, this disinformation stuff that's going on in the culture. Now listen to me. This, this, this new czar that they have to monitor disinformation. Let me tell you what's disinformation to, to our culture today. A man with genitalia that is of a man who wants to be a woman. When I say that you're a man but he feels like he's a woman, I'm filled with disinformation. Do you hear what I'm saying? If I use the wrong pronoun in this culture and demand from a pulpit, this public forum, this pulpit, this forum, I should say, and say a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl, that is going to be considered hate speech insensitive, bigotry. Do you hear what I'm saying? So they're going to come and demand that the church no longer use these terms. When we say marriage is between one man and one woman from the very beginning, and at no point in the entire book is homosexuality ever presented in a positive light, not one time. And when we stand upon the book that is offensive, that is problematic to an unsafe culture, we're try we, we have got to quit making the book fit into the culture. You can't do that. You rewrite things. You change things. You remove things. And so what's happening in our government, while the church is on its back at the beach, at the pool, at home family time, while the others are in the house of God contending for a move of God, we're going to wake up someday and go, well, I wonder what happened. Where was the church? We've got a few short months and perhaps a few years to turn this thing around. But you mark my word, they're coming for churches just like this. They're coming. 
They're coming for churches that dare to say homosexuality is a sin. Transgenderism is a sin. And I love what Prophet Jeremiah said. You may have been born gay. And if you can twist the science to make you feel comfortable in that. Which there are no emphatic studies that validate that. Not one. Not one. But he said, you may have been born gay, but you don't get born again gay. Because you're a new creation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'm telling you, they're coming. They're coming for this church at some point. They're coming for this church. And at that moment, as soon as it hits, hits, there'll be a lot of folks, not a lot of y'all, but a lot of folks just go, boom, I'm out of here. That's just too much. I got, my enough, I got enough problems on my own to be worried about church problems. So you just... Do not speak at all is what he said. Do not speak at all in the name of Jesus. Do not mention the name. And they will have a list of things you and I can't say. See, the church, is, the church has become woke in the wrong way. We don't want to be offensive. We don't want to be offensive. We don't try to be offensive for offensive's sake. But the gospel in and of itself is offensive. I mean, there is, there's a requirement for it. To be born again, there are certain things you have to do, not just believe. And this is the message that will get the church in trouble. It's going to get the church in trouble. And I'm not so sure that God may not be pushing us along that way because he knows any time in history when blood is shed, the church explodes. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. And Pakistan, and in India, and in China. I talked to a, a, a gentleman that works for the Chinese, or, or, or missionary in the, into, into China for years, for years and years and years, and he would go to the underground church. He was there when uh, they were having a prayer meeting, and the authorities came, and they had a lookout, because they were in this prayer retreat center, and there were like a hundred of them. A hundred pastors gathered together. And they saw the authorities coming. They give the signal. People ran into the woods and to hide up under. And all of the people began to search and to try to find these guys. And here's what he said to me. He says, he says, the Chinese church, they do not want America's version of Christianity. And watch this. We're afraid to be like them. Well, I don't, want to, I, don't want, I don't want to have to hide to go to church. I don't want to be threatened. I don't want to about my kids being taken from me and put in a labor camp, and I never see them after the age of six. At the same time, where we don't want to be like them, they're saying, oh, Lord, I don't want to be like the American church. Do you hear what I'm saying? Be seated. I'm about done. i got a few minutes, and I'm done. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for validating that. So here he said to them, don't speak it. Do you see it? Don't speak it. Don't speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But here's what Peter said. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and which we have heard. So they threatened them further, and they let them go, finding no way to punish them at this point. 
For the man was over 40 years old whom this miracle of healing had been performed in Acts chapter 3. Now look at verse 23, public prayer meeting. You ready for it? And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported to the chief, all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard, they raised, watch this, here's the prayer. You ready? They began to pray. They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said. I won't read that part. And then let's get to verse 28. 20, uh, 28. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They're still praying. Verse 29. Here's the prayer. Underline it. Now watch this prayer. You ready? Are you with me? Now, Lord, now, Lord, in light of the circumstances, in light of what we know. Now, watch this. Now, Lord, since Jesus has been crucified, our two leaders, Peter and John, have been arrested and threatened. Now, God, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Stop. Everybody look at me. Not a fear. Not a coddling. Not a pulling back. Not a withdrawal. Not self-preservation. Not a level of comfort. Not a place of where, you know, I gotta, God wants me to take care of me and mine. And God wants me, I got I to gotta make sure that I'm safe. That's not the culture of the New Testament church in the early beginnings. It's the culture today. Anything that costs us anything, time, money, issue. Well, the Lord wants me to be blessed, and I can't be as blessed as I want to be if I have to go serve Him. Don't they understand my schedule? Now, Lord, look on their threats. And God, would you grant to us that in the midst of that opposition, in the midst of that persecution, in the midst of being threatened with our very lives, oh God, would you give me boldness? Because I know in the deep recesses of my mind, I will hear my wife as I leave the room, honey, don't go to that part of the city today. Our mother says to a teenager that's been radically saved and wants to go to a part of the city to preach the gospel because that's where his friends hang out. And the mother says, son, I saw yesterday Roman soldiers there and they're looking out for the followers of Jesus. Please, son, do not go. For God would not ask you to do that. Twisted gospel. It is Western gospel. That keeps you safe and comfortable. The early church knew if I'm going to follow him, I am literally signing my own death certificate. And I am okay with it. Even unto death. Grant boldness. The problem with America... And our churches is that nobody wants to kill the preachers.
coming. They had every right to pray for justice. God, get them. You suffer so I wouldn't have to suffer. God, you do it. God, you went to the cross. There's no need for me to be crucified. They had every right to pray. Oh, God, judge them. They're unfair, unkind, hateful, violent men. Oh, God, intervene. But no, verse 29, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with not just boldness but with radical I'm talking about offensive aggressive with all boldness we may speak your word and then he says in their prayer can God stretch out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus stretch out your hand oh God upon us And I hold up my hand, this means what? Stop. I get this a lot. I, I, I don't need a tongue or interpretation of tongue <laughs> to figure that one out. I'll say here and she'll go. Simultaneous with the cutting of the eye. And that's all it took. As you said this. That's not what they prayed. Lord. Stretch it out. May God stretch out his hand in this hour upon his church. That signs and wonders may be done and healing may come. And then your Bible says, and I close with this, stand to your feet. And then your Bible says, and when they had prayed, look at it, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Do you hear it? Not when he went this, not when he went this, not when he went this, not when he went this way, but when he went in response to their prayer. And when they had prayed, the place they gathered, not them, they didn't shake, it says. 
See, all of us want to, God shaped me. I get it. How about the place? How about that our prayer time becomes so powerful, so meaningful, so substantial, so well attended, that he stands up and he looks at 139 Hightower Park. He wonders why all the angels are darting across the universe to this place. And he looks and he finds the people. ask for nothing but for his hand. Not to be blessed, not to prosper, not to be healed, not to be strengthened, but oh God, would you give us boldness so we can preach your message. begin to make prayer meetings not about us. See, when you come, I know you're going to pray for yourself. I understand that. But it's not about your problems and your, and your worries and your struggles. You hear what I'm saying? That's, that's your in-home time. That's your private time. That's your... In the house, oh God, would you stretch forth your hand that we may have boldness to declare who you are. And would you stretch forth your hand that signs and wonders may be done through your holy servant, Jesus. You see, when prayer meeting is no longer about us and our survival, you hear what I'm saying, not one time is there a mention of survival. Not one time. Oh God, it's you and your king. God goes... My eyes, he says, roam throughout the whole earth. Trying to find a people whose heart is completely loyal to him. See, the problem is sometimes we're more loyal to ourselves than to him. I'm going to say it again. We're more loyal to ourselves than to him sign of any inconvenience we pull back no he says I'm trying to find a people whose hearts completely loyal to me and he says when I find them he says I will show myself strong on their behalf my Lord Jesus make it happen eyes not seen nor ear heard the things that God has in store for those Deuteronomy says, they that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. 
Can you imagine, church, watch me, watch me quickly. I close this statement. If our largest meeting of the week, standing room only meeting of the week, was our Monday night prayer meeting, our Saturday night prayer meeting. And we came for one purpose and one person, purpose only, Pastor Marty. Oh God, oh God, grant unto me boldness. Then I'm open. Lift your hands. Let's begin to pray. If you're unsaved in this room today, if you don't know him, you've never been born again, I'm not going to give you a sweet, polite invitation that promises you a fulfilled life, happy life, comfortable life, fat retirement, nice house, multiple cars, a warm bed soft clothes now I'm going to give it to you like Jesus you want to come I just need all of you and when you give me all of you and when you lose your life that's what he says if you want to find your life you lose it that's the gospel you're going to get saved you're going to lose your life I'm not talking about physically there's no guarantee of that it may happen but he said just give me it all Give me your life. You, they that want to preserve their life must lose it. And so Jesus is saying, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to be born again, repent of your sin and say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. You can't have it both ways. Jesus says you cannot be a lover of the world and lover of him at the same time. You'll hate one and love the other. Then the next time you'll love this and hate the other. There's only one love in your life is him. If you've not been born again, if you've not been born again, and you want to, I'm talking about biblically born again. You want to be saved. Raise your hand right now. Anybody in the room? 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 I see it. Anybody else? Anybody else? Raise it high so I can see it. Wave at me. I see it right there. Anybody else? Okay. All right. Okay. Now I want to make sure you understand. Can you hear me? You understand what I'm saying? You want to be born again right now, right? You want Jesus to come into your life, not only for the forgiveness of your sins, but you want your life to be his, that you're trading in your life right now for his. That you're willing to turn from your sin and say yes to Jesus. Take up your cross and follow him. Come right now. Come be with me right here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Miss Barbara's standing right behind you, okay? Where are you from? Where are you from? In Kennesaw. Who brought you this morning? Your son. Is that your son? Come here. 
Pastor Marty, I want you to ask him a question. Why he brought his mother here. I think Mike 6. Mike 6, I think. Yeah. What made you bring your mothers? My mother, she came to stay with me. And she see how I grew in Christ. <laughs> what did he say? a lot of prayer. She wanted to come stay with me because she struggled a lot with her life. Rejection, drugs. So I guess I always told her that, Ma, you, God gave you a gift. God gave you a gift and that was me. You carried a prophet. And she seen that I always prayed fast the way I raised my children. And she said she wanted to come stay with me because she wanted to be under the glory. And she came here. <laughs> Thank God. So Thank you, Lord. How long? How long have you been coming here? Uh, about eight months. Eight months. Eight months. I remember you, Pastor Marty. We we come from Kennesaw. So, yeah, I found you guys on this supernatural. So I needed. I asked God that I needed a church, you know, to raise my family, my children, my mother. So, and I asked the Lord, um, I'm always spending time with the Lord, but God, I said, I need something well where my children can grow. So I would try different churches, but the Lord told me, just because you see a cross and they say, Jesus, son, doesn't mean my spirit is there. <laughs> so he brought me to see you guys where it's supernatural. And he moved on my heart, come here. <laughs> and this is home. <laughs> so, Lift your hands, lift your hands. All right. PM, lead her to the Lord right there. Pastor Marty, lead her to the Lord. Conversion's happening right here at the front. I, I, this presence of the Lord is so strong. In the morning, keep your hands up, I'm going to pray. In the morning, I leave for Columbia, South Carolina. Last night, I was in Indianapolis. I got on the plane at 6 o'clock. And I joined you in prayer last night while I was flying. I know the lady next to me thought I was crazy. I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. She's from San Francisco. I know she thought I was nuts. I just I had you up to about 10,000 feet. Tomorrow night I'll be in I'll be in Columbia, South Carolina, but at six o'clock I'm joining you. You hear you hear what I'm saying? Now bring your children, bring mama, bring your brother, bring your kids. Come pray with us. For one hour. You can't make it tomorrow night, Saturday night. But just make it once a week right there, okay? For an hour. Can you imagine the place is going to be shaken? He told me, I'm going to shake this place like it's never been shaken before. 
sing this. I'm going to bless you. And as she sings it, you're free to go. Tonight, tonight, 5 o'clock prayer. Come join us. Bishop's preaching. Week 222. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome. Let's sing this. Let's sing this. Let's sing this. And as you go, this is, this is my blessing on you. Psalm 144.1. God, prepare my hands for war. Prepare my hands for battle. Joni wrote this song about three months ago. It's the anthem of the North Georgia Revival right now. Let's sing it. Thank you for being here. Happy Mother's Day. Enjoy your family. We'll see you tonight.